And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Carry on all the way, one son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Don't you cry. Everybody and welcome to episode 18 of Lupa's Bits. I am your host Lupa Barty, otherwise known as Stephanie J Barty, and it is almost Halloween. Who's scary? Um, for those of us that celebrate um, something a little more serious called Samhain, it is almost. Blah, 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 Almost Samhain. Yes, that was my poor imitation of a tongue-tied vampire. Blah. Okay, so before I get too deep into this issue and talk to you about um, Samhain, which I celebrate, I want to share with you um, a poem slash kind of story that was shared with me... um, Oh, how many years ago? Um, oh, excuse me. Uh, it was shared with me probably, I'm going to say 18 years ago, 19 years ago, 18, 17, between 17 and 18 years ago by a wonderful woman uh, by the name of Nessa. Now, Vanessa McNally was... A Appalachian witch. She did mountain magic. She believed in all the old remedies. And um, I do believe she is probably sitting with me right now. <laughs> and she read this to us um, one Samhain. And it... it really resonated with me and it really kind of made me sit back and think about our perception of things and the perceptions that they had back during the Spanish Inquisition, back during the Salem witch trials. So thank you again, Nessa. I post this every year since I joined Facebook. Well, actually I post this every year since 2011 um, on Facebook, but I've shared it every year since she shared it with me. And the author of this, um, as far as I know, is anonymous. I have never found, um, the author. So if you happen to know the author of this particular piece, let me know so that I can, because I posted on Facebook, let me know so that I can add the credit to the piece and they can get credit for it. You, you notice I keep pausing. It's, I, I'll get into all of that later, but I do have um, one of my paranormal equipment operating beside me um, and it's, I'm, it's talking to me. So it, it, it's giving me um, 
words that are pertinent to what I'm discussing and what I'm I'm saying and the conversations that I'm what I'm doing right now. So it kind of throws me off a little bit when I see it out of the corner of my eye and I look at the word and you know what I was just talking about gives me chills and that was the word that it just gave me was chills. When I first began speaking of this particular piece, um, the word I got was wailing and as in crying, which for a lot of us who follow this particular path, it does kind of bring tears to our eyes. It does make us um, sad and a little weepy. And when I read it, you'll understand. But then again, it also did call me a freak too. So, you know. That was something that Nessa used to call me all the time. So, hello, Nessa. I have missed you. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to read this to you. It is, you may have heard it. It is called The Halloween Witch. The Halloween Witch. Each year, they parade her about the traditional Halloween witch. Misshapen green face, stringy scraps of hair, and a toothless mouth beneath her disfigured nose. Gnarled, knobby fingers twisted into a claw protracting from a bent and twisted torso that lurches about on wobbly legs. Most think this abject image to be the creation of a prejudiced mind or merely a Halloween caricature. I disagree. I believe this to be how witches are really seen. Consider that most witches were women, were abducted in the night, and smuggled into dungeons or prisons under the secrecy of darkness to be presented by the light of day as a confessed witch. Few, if any, saw a frightened, normal-looking woman being dragged into a secret room filled with instruments of torture. To be questioned until she confessed to anything that was suggested to her, and to give names or whatever to stop the questions. Crowds saw the apparition denounced to the world as a self-proclaimed witch. As the witch was paraded through the town, en route to be burned, hanged, drowned, stoned, or disposed of in various other forms of Christian love, all created to free and save her soul from her depraved body, the jeering crowds viewed the results of hours, sometimes days, of torture. The face, bruised and broken by countless blows, bore the hue of sickly green, the once warm and smile loving smile gone replaced by a grimace of broken teeth and torn gums that leers beneath a battered, disfigured nose. The disheveled hair concealed, conceals bleeding gapes of torn scalp from whence cruel hands had torn away the lovely tresses. Broken, twisted hands clutched the wagon for support. Fractured fingers locked like gripping claws to steady her broken body. All semblance of humanity gone. This is truly a demon, a bride of Satan, a witch. I revere this Halloween crone and hold her sacred above all. I honor her courage and listen to her warnings of the dark side of humanity. Each year I shed tears of respect. So, I mean, you have to think. They would take these women, and if you look at the Salem witch trials, none of those women were actual witches. Most of them were housewives, were healers in their own rights that used old tinctures and most were accused wrongly by a bunch of spoiled children that didn't get their own way and needed to have a scapegoat so to speak so 
if you've done any um, research on the history of the methods that they used to question suspected witches, if you were suspected of witchcraft, you were no longer viewed as a human being. You were viewed as something evil, something demonic, something otherworldly, which means you were no longer granted the um, privileges and the respect of a human because you were not viewed as a human. And a lot of the um, instruments that they used were very, very inhumane. Um, they inserted things into the body. They ripped things from the body. They pulled fingernails, pulled teeth, anything to get the suspected witch to confess so that, you know, she could be saved and give names of the other witches within her, and I'm doing air quotes, coven. So when she would be brought before the town square to be, as the, the poem says, burned, hanged, whatever, drowned, because that was one of the means of determining a witch. If the person being submerged in the water um, did not float, they were not a witch. If they floated to the surface, they were a witch. Unfortunately, by the time they determined that the person that they were dunking under the water was not a witch, the person had already drowned. So, yes, you can probably hear a little bit of venom in my voice. Um, and I will explain that in a minute. I'm very passionate about this. Very passionate. Very um, invested, I guess you could say, in dispelling a lot of the myths, a lot of the um, stereotypes of what my spiritual path is and what I believe and what I am. Um, I am a healer. I am a practitioner of magic, whether you believe that or not. I work with the natural energies that flow around me. I honor nature. I honor a dual deity. I believe in the male, masculine and feminine aspects of deity. Um, as above, so below. I believe in that. I believe in the threefold law. I believe in a lot of things that are not mainstream, well, are becoming more mainstream, but aren't mainstream. So, yes, I have been called witch. Okay, I'm fine with that. I've been called a lot worse, trust me. Um, I have been shunned. I have had stones thrown at me. I have been spit on. Um, there was an occasion in Georgia at a place called Dragon Hills. And if you are one of my American family members, then you will remember the festival that we were at at Dragon Hills. And Dragon Hills was surrounded on three sides by cow farms. Now, Keep in mind, this is rural Georgia, okay? Rural, 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 <sighs> country Georgia. Like, this was redneck for redneck, okay? Georgia. 
and we were surrounded on three sides by cow farms. Now, the one cow farm, they had no problems with us because they also owned the store just down the road, which we frequented often. Because when you're in Georgia, your cooler will keep your food cool for maybe a day. And then you're back to the store buying up their bags of ice. So they liked us. We were their pagans. They thought we were great. Um, the other two cow farms, the one directly behind us, really didn't bother us. Really just kind of, as long as we stayed within the boundaries of the property, they were fine. They didn't care. Um, the other farm at the top of the hill had a problem. Keeping in mind, again, this is Georgia. Okay? The Bible Belt. Once they found out what we were, they had to eliminate the evil from the land. And we were at a... What was it? It was Beltane. Um, all of our, our ceremonies and um, services were held at the, on the top of the hill. Now, this was an old cotton plantation, so there was a lot of hills. And the land was kind of terraced down. So the highest hill that was there, that was where we would erect our maypole. That was where we would do our Samhain celebration. That is where we would do all of our, our Sabbaths on this hill. That's where our altar was. That's where we felt the closest to deity was on this hill because it was the highest point on the land and we could see the entire property from this point and we could see the beauty around us and we would we could see the sky and we could see the land and it was it was beautiful so we were at the top of the hill and we heard what we thought might have been a firecracker um it wasn't it was actually a gunshot and didn't think anything of it we were surrounded by cow farms it's not unusual to hear gunshots coming from cattle farms they're chasing off predators they're putting down a cow that's been injured or is sickly not a big deal we didn't pay much attention to it um until bullets started hitting the ground around us and then we made a mad dash for the bottom of the hill very very quickly and um this was oh gosh 19 years ago, so cell phones were still few and far between. Um, and the only working phone was up at the house. So our medic and um, head of security jumped into the golf cart and off they went. Um, while we kind of huddled <laughs> in the tree line at the bottom of the hill in fear for our lives. While these redneck farmers took pot shots at us. So yeah, I've been shot at for what I believe in. So I'm very passionate about the path that I walk. Um, and this particular poem, uh, when I first heard it, I was reduced to um, sobbing tears. It really, really hit me because that is what the women would look like after hours, hours and hours, days of torture. You think they're not fed. They're not given water or food 
or if they are, very little, just enough to keep them alive. They're beaten, they're abused, they're tortured until they are given what the Inquisitor wants. Now, the Inquisitors were trained as well in certain methods to extract that confession. So, yeah, she's going to look a little green. She's going to be ugly, her face swollen, teeth missing, hair all messy, dirty looking. And you think, you, it makes you wonder, is that where they got the caricature of the Halloween witch? Is from what these women looked like after they were beaten for being nothing more than a woman? <laughs> you know? <laughs> because I can say with fair certainty that at least the witches in Salem, not one of them was an actual witch. They were just women. Okay, so that little ranch is over. Let's move along. <laughs> and I'm going to now explain to you what Samhain is. Um, let me consult with my uh, paranormal, I don't even know what you would call this, kind of, it's, it's, all right, well, let me, let's do this, I'm getting, I'm getting off of, off track here, so, all right, Samhain, now I'm going to read you the Wikipedia definition, um, and I'm probably going to get some hate mail, it's okay, I know these people love me, okay, so, Samhain, as it's pronounced, not Samhain, <laughs> not um, whatever else you want to call it, it's Samhain. Now, Irish Gaelic, it's Samhain. As I learned the other day, Scottish Gaelic, it's Salven. Salven, with a V. Okay, probably pronounced that wrong. You know what? That's fine. Moving along. It's a Gaelic festival marking the end of the fest, the harvest season. So this is our last harvest before the big cold. Um, it's the beginning of winter or the darker half of the year. Traditionally, it is held on November 1st, but with celebrations beginning on the evening of October 31st as the Celtic day began and ended at sunset. This is about halfway between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice. It is one of the four Gaelic season, seasonal festivals. It is, we have four major and four minor. Um, the four major is Imbolc, Beltane, Lunasad, and Samhain. Those are our four major. Historically, it is widely observed throughout Ireland, Scotland, and the Isle of Man, where it is called Samhain. Similar festivals are held at the same time of year in other Celtic lands. For example, the Britannic can't uh, okay in Wales, <laughs> in Cornwall, and in Brittany. I don't know. I can't pronounce them. I'm terribly sorry, but I'm going to sneeze again at some point. I can feel it. That's why I keep sniffing. I don't have a cold. It's just I can feel that sneeze. Okay, so sound is believed to have Celtic pagan origins, and there is evidence that it has been an important date since ancient times. Some Neolithic 
passage tombs in Ireland are aligned with the sunrise around the time of Samhain. It is mentioned in some of the early Irish literature, and many important events in Irish mythology happen or begin on Samhain. It was the time when cattle were brought back down from the summer pastures and when livestock were slaughtered for the winter. As at Beltane, which is um, exactly the opposite side of the wheel, so where Samhain is in October um, and marks the beginning of winter, the beginning of the cold, the dark time, Beltane is spring. It's in May and it marks the beginning of the lighter days, the longer days, the warmer time. So, okay. Yeah, there. That's much better. All right. Carrying on. Um, as a Beltane, special bonfires were lit. These were deemed to have protective... Okay, I have to make sure I didn't stop that. Uh, protective and cleansing powers, and there were rituals involving them. Like Beltane, Samhain is seen as a liminal time, when the boundary between this world and the other world could be more easily could more easily be crossed. Wah! Apparently I'm not reading very well today. This meant that the spirits, or fairies, could more easily come into our world. Most scholars see... I can't pronounce that. The spirits as remnants of the pagan gods and nature spirits. At Samhain, it was believed that they needed to be appeased to ensure that people, to ensure the people and their livestock survived the winter. Offerings of food and drink were left outside for them. The souls of the dead were also thought to revisit their homes seeking hospitality. Feasts were had at which the souls of dead kin were beckoned to attend and a place set at the table for them. And during those feasts where they invite, where we invite our ancestors in, and where um, we invite our deceased loved ones to come and join us, those are called dumb suppers. And the name, the word dumb, isn't as insulting as it sounds. Um, it means mute or quiet. You don't speak. It's a silent meal. Because you're honoring the ancestors and you're honoring those that have passed away in even just the last year. A lot of times they will have their own place setting at the table or their own special table set off to the side um, as the main focal point of the meal. So, and it is laid out with, you know, placemat, plate, knife, fork, spoon, cup, wine glass, whatever. And you feed them the same as you would anybody else at their table. And their plate is always done first. You always put the food on their plate first because they are the guest of honor. Okay, so there's a little history lesson. Mumming and guising were part of the festival and involved people going door to door in costume or in disguise, often reciting verses in exchange for food. The costumes may have been a way of imitating and disguising oneself from the spirits. Divination rituals and games were also a big part of the festival and often involved nuts and apples. In the late 19th century, Sir John Rees and Sir James Fraser, <laughs> anybody who watches Outlander just kind of went, Aah? suggested that this that it was the Celtic New Year, and this view has been repeated by some other scholars. In the 9th century, the Western Christian Church shifted the date of All Saints Day, which used to be in May, 
to November 1st, while November 2nd later became All Souls Day. Over time, Samhain and All Saints, All Souls merged into the modern Halloween. Folklorists have used the name Samhain to refer to Gaelic Halloween customs up until the 19th century. Since the later 20th century, Celtic neo-pagans and Wiccans have observed Samhain or something based on it as a religious holiday. Neo-pagans in the Southern Hemisphere celebrate Samhain on or around May 1st when we celebrate Beltane. So, when we celebrate Beltane in Australia, they're celebrating Samhain. Okay, so, origins. Samhain was the name of the festival marking the beginning of winter in Gaelic Ireland. It is attested in the earliest Old Irish literature, which dates from the 10th century onward. It was one of four Gaelic seasonal festivals. Samhain, November 1st, Imbolc, February 1st, Beltane, May 1st, and Lunasa, August 1st. Samhain and Beltane, at opposite sides of the year, are thought to have been the most important. Sir James George Fraser wrote in his 1890 book, The Golden Bough, A Study in Magic and Religion, that May 1st and November 1st are of little importance to European crop growers, but of a great importance to herdsmen practicing seasonal transhumpants. Yes, sorry, I read that wrong, transhumants. It is at the beginning of summer that cattle are driven into the upland summer pastures and the beginning of winter that they are led back. Thus, Fraser suggests that having the year at May 1st and November 1st dates from when the Celts were mainly pastoral people depended on their herds. Some Neolithic passage tombs in Ireland are aligned with the sunrise around the times of Samhain and Imbolc. These include the Mound of the Hostages at the Hill of Tara and Cairn L at Sli- I can't, that's, I, it's Gaelic, I can't pronounce it. So, I'm not going to try. So, in Irish, I, blah, 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 Irish mythology was originally a spoken tradition but much of it was eventually written down in the Middle Ages by Christian monks, who Christianized it to some extent. Nevertheless, these tales may shed some light on what Samhain meant and how it was marked in ancient Ireland. See, I'm Irish, so... Mm. My ghost app just called me a geek. Irish mythology says that Samhain was one of the four seasonal festivals of the year. We've already covered that. Um, the sound as the first of these four quarter days. The literature says a peace would be declared and there were great gatherings where they held meetings, feasted, drank alcohol, 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 and held contests. These gatherings are a popular setting for early Irish tales. The tale, Cormac's Adventure, says that the Feast of Tara was held every seventh Samhain, hosted by the High King of Ireland, during which new laws and duties were ordained. Anyone who broke the laws established during this time would be banished. According to Irish mythology, Samhain, like Beltane, was a time when the doorways to the underworld, other world, opened, allowing supernatural beings and the souls of the dead to come into our world. While Beltane was a summer festival for the living, Samhain was essentially a festival for the dead. The boyhood deeds of Fionn say that the she, fairy mounds or portals to the other worlds, were always open at Samhain. Each year, the fire breather... Uh, I really wish I had known 
how to pronounce these, emerges from the other world and burns down the Palace of Tara during the Samhain festival after lulling everyone to sleep with his music. One Samhain, the young, I can't pronounce his name, is able to stay awake and sit and slays the fire breather with a magical spear, for which he is made leader of the Fianna. Okay, we're going to go with that. In a similar tale, one Samhain, the other world, the other world being, I can't, see the thing with Gaelic is that it is never pronounced the way it is spelt. So anyway, this thing comes out of the burial mound at Slevenamon and snatches a roast pig of the Fianna. In a similar tale, one Samhain, the other world being... Oh, wait, I just read that. Uh, Fionn kills this dude with a spear, spear throw as he re-enters the mound. Fionn's thumb is caught between the door and the post as it shuts, and he pulls it in his mouth to ease, puts it in his mouth to ease the pain. As his thumb had been inside the other world, Fionn is bestowed with great wisdom. This may refer to gaining knowledge from the ancestors. Colloquy of Elders tells us how three female werewolves emerge from the cave and otherworld portal, which each Samhain to kill livestock. When Kas Karak plays his harp, they take on human form, and the Fianna warrior uh, the Fianna warrior then slays them with a spear. Some tales suggest that offerings or sacrifices were made at Samhain. Oh, my goodness. This is full of Gaelic words, and this is going to kill me. I should have read this beforehand and found one that wasn't full of all these Gaelic words. Anyway, we're going to move along. So, ritual bonfires were let, are lit. Um, we still do that to this day. And they were lit on hilltops at Samhain, and there were rituals involving them. However, by the modern era, they were now most common in parts of Scottish Highlands, on the Isle of Man, in North and Mid Wales, and in parts of Ulster. Uh, Marion McNeil says that a force fire, or need fire, was the traditional way of lighting them, but notes that this method gradually died out. Likewise, only certain kinds of woods wood were traditionally used. But later, records show that many kinds of flammable material were burnt. It is suggested that the fires were kind of in imitative or sympathetic magic. They mimicked the sun, helping the powers of growth and holding back the decay and darkness of winter. Uh, they also have served to symbolically burn up and destroy all harmful influences. Accounts from the 18th and 19th centuries suggest that the fires, as well as their smoke and ashes, were deemed to have protective and cleansing powers. So, that's the thing behind bonfires. Now, divination is a big thing at Samhain. Because the veil is very thin, and it is easier to communicate with the other side. Um... The bonfires were used in divination rituals, although not all divination involved fire. In 18th century, someplace, a ring of stones, one for each person, was laid around the fire, perhaps in a layer of ash. Everyone then ran around, around it with a torch, exulting. 
In the morning, the stones were examined to see if any was mislaid. It was said that a person it represented would not live out the year. A similar custom was observed in northern Wales and in Brittany. James Fraser says that this may come from an older custom of actually burning them, human sacrifice, or may have always been symbolic. Div- divination is has likely been a part of the festival since ancient times and has survived in some rural areas. All right, so, as noted earlier, Samhain is seen as a liminal time, when the boundary between this world and the other world could more easily be crossed. This meant that the AOC, the spirits or fairies, could be more easy, could more easily come into our world. Many scholars see the AOC as remnants of pagan gods and nature spirits. At Samhain, it is believed that the AOC needed to be propitiated, wow, to ensure that the people and their livestock survived the winter. Offerings of food and drink would be left outside for the spirits and portions of the crops would be left in the ground for them. One custom described as a blatant example of a pagan rite surviving in the Christian epoch was observed, and I said that like that because it is in quotations, was observed in the Outer Hebrides until the early 19th century. On the 31st of October, the locals would go down to the shore. One man would wade into the water up to his waist, where he would pour out a cup of ale and ask Shoni, whom he called God of the Sea, to bestow blessings on them. People also took special care not to offend the AOC and sought to ward off any who were out to cause mischief. They stayed near to home or, if forced to walk in the darkness, turned their clothes inside out or carried iron or salt to keep them at bay. The dead were also honoured at Samhain. The beginning of winter may have been seen as the most fitting time to do so as it was a time of dying in nature. The souls of the dead were thought to revisit their homes seeking hospitality. Places were set at the dinner table and by the fire to welcome them. The belief that the souls of the dead return home on one night of the year and must be appeased seemed to have ancient origins and is found in many cultures throughout the world. James Fraser, I love that name, suggests it was perhaps a natural thought that the approach of winter should drive the poor, shivering, hungry ghosts from the bare fields and the leafless woodlands to the shelter of the cottage. However, the souls of thankful kin could return to bestow blessings just as easily as that of a wronged person could return to wreak revenge. So they would dress up. Um, on the Isle of Man, they, they don't carve pumpkins. They actually carve turnips. Um, I'm just kind of skimming at the moment here because there's a lot of information here and I don't want to do my entire podcast just reading what it says on Wikipedia. So... This is about wearing a costume and disguising yourself. Um, yeah, I'm skimming. Do, 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 do. Skim, skim, skim. Uh, trick-or-treating may have come from the custom of going door-to-door, collecting food for sound feasts, fuel for sound bonfires, and or offerings for the AOC, Alternatively, it may have come from All Hallowtide custom of collecting soul cakes. The traditional illumination for geysers or pranksters abroad on the night in some places was provided by turnips or mango wurzels. Okay. Hollowed out to act as lanterns and often carved with grotesque faces. 
which I would assume are jack-o'-lanterns stemmed from. They were also set on windowsills. By those who made them, the lanterns were variously said to represent the spirits or supernatural beings, or were used to ward off evil spirits. These were common in parts of Ireland and in Scotland in the 20th century. They were also found in Somerset. In the 20th century, they spread to other parts of England and became generally known as jack-o'-lanterns. Ah, see? I told you. Um... Do, 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 do. Okay, we're not going to get into the different cultures and um, the different ways to celebrate Samhain. That is your personal preference. Um, now I'm going to give you a little history lesson on Halloween. Oh, oh you have to bear with me because I have that pins and needly thing, you know where you sit on your leg for, for too long. Um, sorry, I was distracted by my thing again. It's still talking to me. It's given me some rather interesting... Uh, called me a geek. I don't know what it means by raster, but, you know, we'll Google that after. Um, yeah, it was a few things. Order, shy, finger. I don't know. It's kind of neat. It's got a spirit box to it as well, which isn't on at the moment, because um, as you can tell, it's very quiet. Oh, my goodness, my leg went to sleep pretty much up halfway to the inside of my thigh, <laughs> so it's kind of weird. Um, okay, I have to go back up to the beginning of the article, because I was reading through this one. Uh, this is actually from history.com. So, this is the origins of Halloween, the, all of that interesting stuff. So, Halloween is a holiday celebrated each year on October 31st, as we know, which will be tomorrow. And Halloween 2020 will occur on Saturday, October 31st. Mm-hmm. The tradition originated with the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain. So, you see... You know, there you go. When people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts. In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as a time to honor All Saints. So, on All Saints Day, soon All Saints Day incorporated some of the traditions of Samhain. The evening before was known as All Hallows' Eve, later Halloween. Over time... Halloween evolved into a day of activities like trick-or-treating, carving jack-o'-lanterns, festival gatherings, donning costumes, and eating treats. But, Halloween's origins date back to the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, which we just covered in the Wikipedia version of what I was telling you. The Celts, who lived 2,000 years ago, mostly in the area that is now Ireland, the United Kingdom, and Northern France, celebrated their new year on November 1st. So, I will be celebrating New Year on November 1st. This day marked the end of summer and the harvest and the beginning of the cold, dark winter, a time of year that is often associated with human deaths. Because back in the day, especially about 2,000 years ago, it get pretty cold. You got peat moss for, you know, heat. You're not doing real great. 
Uh, Celts believed that on the night before the new year, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. On the night of October 31st, they celebrated Samhain, when it is believed that the ghosts of the dead return to Earth. It's a fun night, let me tell you. In addition to causing trouble and damaging crops, Celts thought that the presence of the otherworldly spirits made it easier for the Druids, or Celtic priests, to make predictions about the future. For a people entirely dependent on the volatile natural world, these prophecies were an important source of comfort during the long, dark winter. To commemorate the event, Druids built... Oh, they built something! I'm surprised! Normally, Druids are digging holes! All of my pagan friends will actually find that rather funny. To commemorate the event, Druids built huge sacred bonfires, where the people gathered to burn crops and animals as sacrifices to the Celtic deities. During the celebration, the Celts wore costumes, typically consisting of animal heads and skins, and attempted to tell each other's fortunes. They were not vegan or vegetarian. Just saying. Uh, oh, went too far. <laughs> when the celebration was over, they relit their hearth fires, which had been extinguished earlier that evening, from the sacred bonfire to help protect them during the coming year. So what they would do is they would have this huge bonfire in the middle of town. And at the end of the day, at the end of the celebration, every family would take an ember, like a... a Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? A coal. A burning hot coal from that fire. And they would take it home and they would light their hearth fires with that sacred fire. So their kitchen fire that where they cooked all their meals would have been lit with that sacred fire, bringing that blessing and, and all of that good positive energy into their home. And it also kind of fostered a feeling of community and connection among the the village or the town, whatever it happened to be. Um, because during the winter, especially back then, you didn't see your neighbors very often. You didn't tend to go outside very often. You stayed inside where it was warm because they didn't really have um, the clothing that we have today, the padding, the warmth. So they stayed huddled around the fire and didn't see anybody. So knowing that your neighbors... Um, shared in that piece of fire with you, kind of connected you all. It didn't make you feel as lonely. Did you know, here's a little did you know for you, one quarter of all candy sold annually in the U.S. is purchased for Halloween? Mm-hmm. Okay, moving along with our history lesson. By 43 A.D., the Roman Empire had conquered the majority of Celtic territory. In the course of the 400 years that they ruled the Celtic lands, two festivals of Roman origin were combined with the traditional Celtic celebration of Samhain. First was Feralia, a day in late October when the Romans traditionally commemorated the passing of the dead. Hmm, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? No looking for a sign, I'm talking to my tablet. <laughs> the second is a day to honor P Pomona the Roman goddess of fruit and trees. The symbol of Pomona is the apple, and the incorporation of this celebration into Samhain probably explains the tradition of bobbing for apples that is practiced today. All Saints Day. Because, you know, All Saints Day. On May 13, 609 A.D., 
Pope Boniface IV dedicated the Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs, and the Catholic Feast of All Martyrs Day was established in the Western Church. Pope Gregory III, which we discussed earlier, later expanded the festival to include all saints as well as all martyrs and moved the observance from May 13th to November 1st. Hmm. By the 9th century, the influence of Christianity had spread into Celtic lands where it gradually blended with and supplemented older Celtic rites. In 1000 AD, the church made November 2nd All Souls Day to honor a day to honor the dead. Is widely believed today that the church was attempting to replace the Celtic festival of the dead with a related church-sanctioned church-sanctioned holiday. I will keep my opinions on December twenty fifth to myself for now. It's not December. All Souls Day was celebrated similarly to Samhain, with big bonfires, parades, and dressing up in costumes as saints, angels, and devils. All Saints Day celebration was also called All Hallows or All Hallowmas, from Middle English All Hallowmas, meaning All Saints Day. And the night before it, and tradition, the traditional night of Samhain in the Celtic religion, began to be called All Hallows Eve, and eventually... Halloween. And there are still people today that still call it All Hallows' Eve. TV uses it. Oh, here's fun. Here we go. Here's some fun. Halloween comes to America. What? And and suddenly I have this picture of Eddie Murphy in that movie, Coming to America. And I have Dave in my head going, USA! USA! (laughs) Anyway... The celebration of Halloween was, see, and it it comes to America because it was probably already in Canada because that's where most of the Irish fled. Anyway, the celebration of Halloween was extremely limited in colonial New England because of the rigid, rigid Protestant belief systems there. Halloween was much more common in Maryland and the southern colonies. As the beliefs and customs of different European ethnic groups and the American Indians meshed, a distinctly American version of Halloween began to emerge. The first celebrations included play parties, which were public events held to celebrate the harvest. Neighbors would share stories of the dead, tell each other's fortunes, dance and sing. Here's another did you know for you. Did you know more people, especially millennials, are buying costumes for their pets. 20% did so in 2018, up from 16% in 2017. And I happen to know, I happen to know for a fact, that there is a little furry dog in California that has a Canadian t-shirt. I know this for a fact. I have yet to see the little dog in the shirt, but I know he has one. She has one. It has one. I don't. The dog has one. It's always wearing a little pink tutu. Colonial Halloween festivities also featured the telling of ghost stories and mischief-making of all kinds. In the middle of the 19th century, annual autumn festivals were common, but Halloween was not yet celebrated everywhere in the country. In the second half of the 19th century, America was flooded with new immigrants. These new immigrants, especially the millions of Irish fleeing the Irish potato famine, helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween 
nationally. History of trick-or-treating. This is a real this is a much more fun history lesson than the one I gave you earlier. I'm being told that I stink now. Um, by my ghost down. See, I'm gonna turn it on for a second so you can hear it. You hear it? That high pitched is telling me that there is something around and I'm going to get, it's going to give me a different word now than odor. I'm not paying attention to it, which is why it's very aggressive at the moment. Oh, I got another name, Aaron. I got sign, like you're signing something. Um, do, portal. All right, so we're going to quiet that again. Calm yourself over there. Is the expression calm your... Oh, I can't say calm your tits because I don't know if you're a male or a female. So calm whatever it is you need to calm over there. We'll get to you in a minute. Um, okay, so. And no, I have not been drinking. History of trick-or-treating. Borrowing from European traditions, of course. Because, you know... Americans began to dress up in costumes and go house to house asking for food or money. <laughs> you know, the jokes that are just flying around in my head right now. <laughs> A practice that eventually became today's trick-or-treating tradition. Young women believed that on Halloween they could divine the name or appearance of their future husband by doing tricks with yarn, apple parings, or mirrors. I'm going to avoid all three of those on Saturday. But I'm not young, so I guess I would exclude me from that. Uh, in the late 1800s, there was a move in America to mold Halloween into a holiday more about community and neighborly get-togethers than about ghosts, pranks, and witchcraft. At the turn of the century, Halloween parties for both children and adults became the most common way to celebrate the day. Parties focused on games, food, foods of the season, and festive costumes. Parents were encouraged by newspapers and community leaders to take anything frightening or grotesque out of Halloween costumes. <gasps> My God, there were Karens and Chads back then. Because of these efforts, Halloween lost most of its superstitious, superstitious and religious overtones by the beginning of the 20th century. Way to go, America. Taking the fun out of everything. By the 1920s and 1930s, Halloween had become a secular but community-centered holiday with parades and town-wide Halloween parties as the featured entertainment. Despite the best efforts of many schools and communities, vandalism began to plague some celebrations in many communities during this time. By the 1950s, town leaders had successfully limited vandalism and Halloween had evolved to a holiday directed mainly at the young. Due to the high numbers of young children during the 50s baby boom, parties moved from town civic centers into the classrooms or home where they could be more easily accommodated. And I do believe the vandalism and all of the shenanigans and the troublemaking moved to the night before, which we know as Devil's Night. Um... Between 1920 and 1950, the centuries-old practice of trick-or-treating was also revived. 
Trick-or-treating was a relatively inexpensive way for an entire community to share the Halloween celebration. In theory, families could also prevent tricks being played on them by providing the neighborhood children with small treats. And that is still true today. I mean, if you don't hand out candy, if your light's off, you're probably going to get egged or your trees are going to be TP'd, you know. Thus, a new American tradition was born, and it has continued to grow. Today, Americans spend an estimated $6 billion annually, $6 billion, with a B, billion, annually, on Halloween, making it the country's second largest commercial holiday after, you guessed it, Christmas. Wow. Y'all are broke between October and January. That's all I got to say. Because you got the Thanksgiving in there, and then you've got uh, Black Friday, and Cyber Monday. <laughs> you know, Halloween movies. Okay. This is where, this is where it gets fun, because if y'all listened to Dave's podcast last week, on Wednesday, he talked about Halloween movies. And if you read the review in The World of Myth, um, the reviewer, name escapes me at the moment, uh, moviegoer Grimm, <laughs> um, reviewed nine Halloween movies. Like, not nine different Halloween movies. Nine movies from the Halloween franchise. Nine, like one, two, whatever, because he missed the Rob Zombie ones. Halloween, Michael Myers movies. That was fun to edit, let me tell you. Okay, so this is going to be a long podcast. I'm going to tell you that now. We're already at 53 minutes, and I still got stuff I want to talk about. So, And I was also told last week that, you know, I can just keep going if I want to. So I'm going to. It's the Halloween issue. I'm going to have fun with this. Okay, so Halloween movies. Speaking of commercial success, scary Halloween movies have a long history of being box office hits. Classic Halloween movies include the Halloween franchise, based on the 1978 original film directed by John Carpenter and starring Donald Pleasance, Nick Castle, Jamie Lee Curtis, my hero, and Tony Moran. And y'all know pretty much the gist of the movie, right? I don't need to read you the synopsis. Perfect. Some of you don't. Google it. Considering a Considered a classic horror film down to its spooky soundtrack, it inspired 11... Yeah, you know what? I can't hear that Michael Myers music without going, like, where is he? Looking around my shoulder for the William Shatner mask. I can't. I just... I, you hear that music and you immediately get creeped out. At least I do. Okay? I immediately get creeped out by that music... Um, I'm not familiar with the Friday the 13th music, but that, sh 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 yeah, that just shivers, I'm telling you. And that stupid little kid song from Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, man. We went, Crystal and I, um, a couple of weeks ago, we went to a Halloween light display. You know, you have the Christmas drive through light things all set to music and everything. And we're sitting in the line, and I'm all excited because this is, like, is going to be really cool. And we're tuned into the radio station, and they're playing the music, and the music's really cool. And then it's, I hear the one, two, and I'm like, that's it, I'm out, I'm out. I want, I wanted to, I literally, 
I wanted to leave. I locked the doors. Crystal laughed at me. I locked the doors. Sent a video to Dave because I, he would find it amusing because he knows I don't like Freddy. And I, I, you know, <laughs> I want it out. And I didn't hear that song again through the entire thing because there was quite a few songs. It's a half an hour drive through this thing. Didn't hear that song again until we were in the lineup waiting to leave. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, there it is again. <laughs> ah! <laughs> and you got all these little dancing skeletons beside you as you're listening to, th- and it's creepy. It's creepy. It's it's a simple little ditty with a bunch of little kids singing a simple little song, and then they throw an echo on it. That's all they did was they took that song and they threw like an echo sound effect in there and it made it creepy as hell creepiest song ever and now that i've talked about it i'm going to be up for the next four hours because i'm not going to be able to get it out of my head and you everybody knows the rule if you have a song stuck in your head you have to listen to it to get it out of your head that is not happening not happening no no Not this close to sound. Not happening. And I got my paranormal equipment out, so kind of opened that door a little bit. I cracked it. Screen door still closed. But I opened the main door. Screen door's closed. They can't come through the screen door. Stand there and tap. But yeah, no, not happening. Ah, Creepy. Okay. Carrying on. Consider it a classic horror film. Oh, I already read that. All right. It inspired 11 other films in the franchise. 11. I think he did nine. And other slasher films like Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Friday the 13th. A direct sequel to the original Halloween was released in 2018, I saw it, starring Jamie Lee Curtis and Nick Castle. More family-friendly Halloween movies include Hocus Pocus, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Now that one's up for debate whether that is actually a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie, it all depends. Beetlejuice. And... One of my all-time favorites, it's The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And it's funny, because the picture that they actually have for this article isn't any of those. It's um, The Exorcist. (laughs) So, you know. Uh, Okay, All Souls Day and Soul Cakes. Now, you heard me mention Soul Cakes earlier. So, the American Halloween tradition of trick-or-treating probably dates back to the early All Souls Day parades in England. See, you know stealing stuff again. During the festivals, poor citizens would beg for food and families would give them pastries called soul cakes in return for their promise to pray for the family's dead relatives. The distribution of soul cakes was encouraged by the church as a way to replace the ancient practice of leaving food and wine for roaming spirits. The practice, which was referred to as going a-souling, was eventually taken up by children who would visit the houses in their neighborhood and be given ale, food, and money. I want that tradition to come back again. I would so happily go door to door and be given ale, food, and money. That'd be all right. You know. The tradition of dressing in... I would even dress up. I have an owl onesie. Telling you. The tradition of dressing in costume for Halloween was both European... Has both European and Celtic roots. You all know this already. Hundreds of years ago, winter was an uncertain and frightening time. Okay, you know what? As someone who hates winter, I will tell you right now, it is still uncertain and frightening. Food supplies often ran low, and for many, for the many people afraid of the dark, 
the short days of winter were full of constant worry. On Halloween, when it is believed that ghosts came back to the earthly world, people thought that they would encounter ghosts if they left their homes. To avoid being recognized by these ghosts, people would wear masks when they left their homes after dark so that the ghosts would mistake them for fellow spirits. How you doing, George? How you doing, Ralph? And off they'd go. On Halloween, to keep ghosts away from their houses, people would place bowls of food outside their homes to appease the ghosts and prevent them from attempting to enter. Ooh! We might do that one next. Eight of Halloween's most hair-raising folk legends. Although we did that last year on Mythbits, so, you know, we'll see. See how long my voice holds out. Black cats and ghosts. Two of my favorite things. Halloween has always been a holiday filled with mystery, magic, and superstition. It began as a Celtic end-of-summer festival, during which people felt especially close to deceased relatives and friends. For those friendly spirits, they set places at the dinner table, left treats on doorsteps and along the side of the road, and lit candles to help loved ones. Ah, yes, you did. Dinner. I will get to the... I did the dinner already. Shush. Talking to my tablet again. Left treats on doorsteps and along the side of the road, and lit candles to help loved ones find their way back to the spirit world. Today's Halloween ghosts are often depicted as more fearsome and malevolent, and our customs and superstitions are scarier, too. We avoid crossing crossing paths with black cats, afraid that they might bring us bad luck. This idea has its roots in the Middle Ages, when many people believed that witches avoided detection by turning themselves into black cats. No. We try not to walk under ladders for the same reason. Now, logically, if you think about it, you don't walk under a ladder because the person at the top of the ladder could drop something on your head. This superstition may have come from the ancient Egyptians who believed that triangles were sacred. Okay, all right, I see I see where you get the triangle angle from. <laughs> triangle angle, there you go, from. Because, you know, the ladder leaning at me, yeah, okay, anyway. Um, it may also have something to do with the fact that walking under a leaning ladder tends to be fairly unsafe. And around Halloween, especially, we try to avoid breaking mirrors, stepping on cracks in the road, or spilling salt. Okay, you know what, I will admit that I believe the seven years bad luck when you break a mirror. I spilled salt the other day, like yesterday, actually. I spilled salt yesterday. And yes, I did. I scooped it up into my little hand and tossed it over my left shoulder. Just Sandra. Hmm. Just saying. Um, Anybody listening, if you happen to know a Sandra or a Carson... Let me know, because these are names that I'm getting as we're we're talking here. So, I mean, it could not be for me. Um, it also talks about, it also mentions this, the dinner, the dumb supper that I talked about, and the seat. It's kind of interesting. I want to, um, I, I should be telling you what it's like. I wish I, I could take pictures of what it's saying as I'm talking so that you could see it's relating. It's kind of cool. Anyway. Now this is this one. I, I read this part and I it gave me a yeah. It was kind of funny. It was kind of funny. Halloween matchmaking and lesser known rituals. But what about the Halloween traditions and beliefs that today's trick or treaters have forgotten all about? Many of these obsolete rituals focused on the future instead of the past and the living instead of the dead. In particular, many had to do with helping young women identify their future husbands and reassuring them that they would, someday, 
with luck, by next Halloween, be married. In the 18th century Ireland, a matchmaking cook might bury a ring in her mashed potatoes on Halloween night, hoping to bring true love to the diner who found it. Or, you know, death because they choked on it. You don't generally chew mashed potatoes. You scoop them up, you shovel them in, you swallow. I'm just saying. In Scotland, fortune tellers recommended that an eligible young woman name a hazelnut for each of her suitors and then toss the nuts into the fireplace. (laughs) Wow! The nut that burned to ashes rather than popping or exploding, the story went, represented the girl's future husband. In some versions of this legend, the opposite was true. The nut that burned away symbolized a love that would not last. Another, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> uh, is that where they get the song Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire? No, because these are hazelnuts. But still. <laughs> uh, I might try that. Uh, you know, just, just for shits and giggles. I'm going to go get me some hazelnuts. I'm going to have a fire on Saturday anyway. That'd be kind of funny. All right, so another tale had it that if a young woman ate a sugary concoction made out of walnuts, hazelnuts, and nutmeg before bed on Halloween night, she would dream about her future husband. Oh, Nutella! I can have a Nutella sandwich. That would work. Young women tossed apple peels over their shoulders, hoping that the peels would fall on the floor in the shape of their future husband's initials. Okay, when we were kids... We used to take the stems, you know, you'd get an apple and it would have the stem. And you would twist that stem and you A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, and it, it, when it popped off, whatever letter it popped off, that was the letter of your future husband. Unclear. Were you unclear? Ugh. Anyway, I, my, my, whoever is here talking to me is unclear. You're, oh, you're unclear. <laughs> there isn't one. Carry on. Um... Okay, so, young woman tossed apple peels over their shoulders, hoping that the peels would fall on the floor in the shape of their future husband's initials. Tried to learn about their futures by peering at egg yolks floating in a bowl of water and stood in front of mirrors in darkened rooms, holding candles and looking over their shoulders for their husband's faces. Oh, hell no! Nah, nah, I was born in the generation where we did the whole Bloody Mary thing in the bathroom in front of the mirror when the lights turned off. I am not standing in front of any mirror with a candle looking over my shoulder. If I see somebody standing over my shoulder knowing I am home alone, there is going to be a lupicized hole in one of the walls because I am going to find my way out. Okay, that is not happening. Other rituals were more competitive. Oh, here we go. This is this is where we get into the fun stuff. At some Halloween parties, the first guest to find a burr on a chestnut hunt would be the first to marry. Why is it all about getting married? At others, the first successful apple bobber would be the first down the aisle. <laughs> okay, so the first the first girl that could put her head into a bucket of water and come up with an apple in her mouth firmly clenched in her teeth was going to be the first one down the aisle. That has nothing to do with her divination skills. That all has to do with how good she is at bobbing. That's all I'm going to say on that. 
Of course, whether we're asking for romantic advice or trying to avoid seven years of bad luck, each one of these Halloween superstitions relies on the goodwill of the very same spirits whose presence the early Celts felt so keenly. And that, my dear friends, is the end of your history lesson and Halloween reading fun. Now you get just me. Terribly sorry about that. Okay, so, one of the things that I like to do is investigate the paranormal, as you know. You've heard me talk about it. You've heard me tell stories about it. Um, right now I'm being told... Okay, now I'm getting body parts. Thigh, neck. Anyway. Um... I have the equipment. I have in my hot little hand right now. I have my K2. Yeah, I want somewhere to come back to. I have apps on my tablet. Um, I have my K2, which measures electromagnetic frequencies. And, well, that's weird. Okay. It wasn't going, it was going off like crazy earlier. And now, all of a sudden, it's not going off at all, but it actually is going off. I think um, the battery is dying in this one. And my, I have two of them. My other one is um, in Midland somewhere, in the house somewhere. Anyway, so I have my spirit box. I have my app that has the spirit box and uh, frequency reader. I have a full spectrum camera. I have two digital cameras. I have a video camera with night vision. I have a temperature sensor. I have static um, sensors that have really cool little blue lights on them. And they're really fun and really easy to make. I might actually make some of my own. It's just a, a circuit board. And it's connected to a 9-volt battery. So I might actually look at those. Anyway. Um, yeah, I have all the tools of the trade. Most of the tools of the trade. I do not have a Fleur. I want a Fleur. Um... I have the, um, ah, I can't remember the name of the lights. Uh, you see, they're, wow. Brain is like not functioning. I have the lights you use in the dark that, that light up. You can't see them. It doesn't make it any brighter. It just works on the camera so that you can see in the dark on the camera. Night vision. I can't remember what they're called. Anyway, um, I have all the equipment. I've done investigations. It's a lot of fun. And I actually found some batteries and put them in. I'm hoping you're going to be able to hear this. Um, we'll see. But I wanted to kind of show you, because I've talked about the spirit box. I talked about it last week. You guys heard some of the um, clips that I had. I want to kind of give you an example of, oh, I put the headphone in my ear, what it sounds like and how fast it actually scans. So you know how difficult it is. Let me see where my, i trying to find my microphone. I don't even know where my microphone is on this phone, to be honest. 
I should probably have the other one in my ear so I can tell you if it's saying anything. Oh, good gravy. I think I'm allergic to podcasting. Oh, okay. So what you're looking for with the spirit box is not the radio stations that you hear going by. You hear that white static? That is where you're going to find um, the voices. So you ask questions like, you know, what is your name? We didn't get anything. Those are radio stations. Um, Is there anybody here? Now, it gets really freaky when you're scanning the radio stations and then all of a sudden you don't get anything. Kind of like this. And you can, on the spirit box, like you can change the speed, the sweep rate. You can slow it down. You can speed it up a whole lot. So when you get, see that was something, so everything. So when you get something, like a sentence, you're scanning over, like we're going through, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. So that was six channels in six seconds. So when you get a sentence, whoa, did you guys hear that? That it almost sounded like, um... An old cell phone ringtone. Kind of cool. That is not radio. So, who's calling? <laughs> yeah. See, I I have my my space and this property that I'm on is. Whatever, I think that was a name. Um, is fairly protected, so the odds of getting a random spirit are fairly slim to none. Um, but this is what the spirit box sounds like. So I'm going to turn it off now. And I also have it, if you're listening, at a slower pace, um, on the tablet. Use the temperature gun. You can sometimes, you'll feel cold spots and that is sometimes an indication of spirit activity. With the temperature gun, you can actually measure the temperature fluctuations, whether it's going up, whether it's going down, how quickly it's changing, and all of that good stuff. So, I'm waiting. And the measurements are starting to go up, which means it's picking up something. I don't know what. And I can't even guarantee, like, for sure that this even works. Because, like I told you the last time, when I talked about it last week. I sure hope that my phone picked that up because I'm pretty sure that just growled at me. (laughs) 
And the word I got was rock. Anyway. Um, this is all subjective. It's all in the stages of being scientifically proven. A lot of this equipment is stuff that, you know, people have kind of created. It's not done in a lab. It's not done in a controlled environment where we, we go. Annabelle, we had this discussion. I'm telling you, I'm going to tape your door shut. Annabelle and I have had, uh, we've been having a problem. I watched her movie on the weekend with her. You know, I brought her over. Y'all saw the picture on Instagram or on Facebook. Yes, she's on the table. The tablet just hissed at me and said table. Maybe she doesn't like being on the table. I don't know. Um, just so y'all know, yeah, my heart is beating a little quick. That kind of freaked me out a little bit. Just a little bit. Caught me off guard. Wish that was something other than water. Anyway, I slammed my thing down and it opened her door. So she was sitting on the couch in her little safety box behind me. And her door kept opening a little bit. I don't know if it was me shifting on the couch, more than likely. What, but she was leaned back. So, I mean, it should have stayed shut, but it kept opening. And, you know, I kind of told her, she keeps it up. She's going to be on, she's going to be outside. Or I'll be sleeping in my car. Um, weird things have been going on this week. I have a light that, over my bed, that I don't use. And there was a leak in the summer. Um, so I don't use that light. And it's on the other side of the bed anyway, so, like, I would have to climb over, crawl over, reach up, turn it off. It's just much easier to use the one where I sleep. So, I noticed, um, about a week and a half ago, it had come on. So I went over and I turned it off. I went, wow, okay, maybe the switch was faulty or something. I don't know. So then, um, it came on again a couple of days ago. Turned it off, texted Crystal, and I'm like, the light came on. She's killing herself laughing at me because, um, you know, she's safe over there in the house. I'm out here in the trailer. She's laughing at me. Maybe I didn't turn the switch off right or something. So I walked over there, turned it off again. Dave watched me do it. So I'm sitting here last night. I think it was last night or the night before. And... I'm talking to Dave, we're on the phone, and all of a sudden, I'm freaking out. Poor dude. Okay, like, he wears headphones. I don't wear headphones because I have a really good speaker and really good um, mic on my phone. Reservation, that's the word I got. I got another growl. I'm going to move you a little closer. You might be able to pick up some of these growls. Anyway, um... So I'm sitting, and where I sit at the kitchen table, I look directly at the bed, and the curtain kind of slants a bit, so I can see the other light. And as I'm sitting here, looking in that direction, the light slowly starts to come on, kind of like it had to, you know those those lights that kind of, very slowly, they start out very dim, and then they get brighter and brighter and brighter, and then it flickered a little bit, and then it came right on, really bright. And poor Dave. I'm I'm surprised he's not deaf because I'm pretty sure I screeched 
I think there was screeching involved. I know there was screaming involved. There were several bad words involved <laughs> in that exchange. Um, yeah. It freaked me out a whole lot. That's all I'm going to say. So I took the light bulb out of that completely. And it is now in my outside light. It's not even in the trailer. So if that light comes on now without a light bulb in it, I'm out of here. I'm sleeping in the car. I'll sleep in the shed. I'll sleep in the lounger by the fire. I don't care. I'm out. I'm gone. I'm done. See ya. Yes, I am a paranormal investigator, but they're not allowed in my home. They're not allowed in my safe space. It's just, no. 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 Um, I gotta uh, plug this in. Well, it's making noise. Tent. Yes, I'll sleep in a tent. Thank you. <laughs> the word I just got from this was tent. I'll sleep in a tent. Are you telling me you want me to go sleep in a tent? It'll be a little chilly. We're expecting snow. All right. What is this? That's at 63. Okay, so that's good. Unplug that. Plug that in there. So yeah, I have all of the equipment. I will go into scary places and see if I can find the spirits of dead things. But I will not watch a movie that I know is completely made up and fake and done by actors. <laughs> go figure. I'm weird like that. Stop growling at me. Alright, there we go. Get out of there. Broad, you called me a broad. You growl at me and it calls me a broad. Although, I think I, I did call my friend Jenny a broad earlier today. <laughs> and if she's listening, she'll laugh. Because, you know, we call each other broad all the time. Um, I've known her for 40 years. So... And her and I have done ghosty stuff together. Um, Crystal, my bestest friend and sister, is actually part of my paranormal investigative team. She's the medium on our team. And my team is called Beyond the Known Paranormal. I have a Facebook page. I have a, a YouTube channel with investigations and stuff. Um, tons of footage that I still haven't edited and put up. But anyway, I digress. So yeah, I have all the toys. I have all the fun stuff. We're going to turn that off now because if it growls at me again, I'm going to be up till Thursday. Next Thursday. So, being as it's so close to Samhain and the veil is getting thinner, um, this is the time of year that I like to do paranormal investigations because I get in my opinion I get the best results um and it's a lot of fun you know I've done I've led spirit walks before 
I've done um, group investigations with people. I've taken people on group investigations. I used to do a um, Halloween tour. And what I would do is I would take a group. It was me and one other person. And we always start out jokingly. And we would say to them, okay, we are the, what you would call professionals in this field. And we are the tour guides of this excursion. So if you see us turn and run, don't ask questions, just follow. Because if the ones that are leading the tour turn and run, you don't want to stick around and find out what it is we're running from. And we always did that just to kind of freak them out because we didn't run nothing, you know, places that we took them were fairly benign. So we would start out at the deadest, pun intended, graveyard cemetery in town. This had absolutely no spirit activity whatsoever. It was a dead cell, as we called it. And, um... We would take them, we'd walk them around and, you know, can you feel anything? What do you sense? And blah, 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 blah. And they'd be like, oh, there's nothing here. They wouldn't get any readings on any of the equipment. Um, And we would slowly, like, we had about four or five cemeteries. And we would slowly bring them up until we hit the most active cemetery in the area, which is St. James on the Line in Penetanguishene. Um, And then we would go from, once we got them to that cemetery, and they were kind of like, oh, this feels creepy, I don't like being here, blah, 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 and they're getting results on the equipment, um... And now their their senses are heightened and they're into it and they're freaked out a little bit because a lot of times the people in the group had never experienced anything like this. They'd never gone on anything like this. They, they didn't involve themselves with stuff like this. Um, then we would take them to Fuller Avenue. Now, Fuller Avenue back then was and just talking about it makes my heart race and I get this like pit in my stomach. Um it had a very negative energy that sat on the property. It didn't cross the property lines. I have a feeling that it was contained to the property. Um we a group of us had been in there several times during the day. The very first time I ever encountered Fuller Avenue, my ex and I were walking our dogs um, through the trail that ran along the waterfront. And one of our dogs, our Rottweiler, she took off. So like this is like 20 years ago or more. Um... Oh, God, yeah, this would have been 25 years ago. 25 years ago is the first time I encountered Fuller Avenue. Because this is before Katie was born. So our dog took off up into the bush. So we took off after the dog. And we decided, that's it, we're tired. We don't want to go all the way back down to the trail and then back out the trail. If we, we, we figured if we went straight, we should get to the road where the car was. So... We continued in what we assumed was a straight line. And we wandered around that forest for a good two hours, not finding the road. Nancy, that's my mother's name. Why is it giving me my mother's name? What about my mother? 
See, it's got my attention now because it said my mother's name. Anyway, we, yeah, we used to have to drive by Fuller Avenue to get to my mom's house when she lived in Penetang. You went up Fuller and turned and she was right there. So anyway, as we walked up and got to the top of the hill, um, we started finding um, outlines, like the, the stone outlines of buildings. Like we found the, um, oh God, my brain is just foundation. Whoa, there we go. The foundation of the main house. And all around the outside was the Italian terrazzo tiling and um, the stairs that went down to the gardens. Um, we could still see like the outline of the gardens, the shrubs that they had planted. Um, the house at one point was had an old, old oil furnace, like an oil heater in the basement. And, you know, it had all the big pipes that ran through the house into the various rooms. It had kind of all caved in and was in the basement. Uh, we found the garage that had like a 1950s kind of car, you know, like the, the era of the Christine car. Now, the, the really weird thing about this car was it looked like it was driving out of the garage. Um, except it was upside down. It was completely upside down. Halfway out of the garage. And that was all we found. was the main house and the garage and a couple of barrels and stuff half like submerged into the ground. And we left. And then I went back... Um, about 10 years ago, uh, again, took us forever to find it, and found more buildings. There were, there were outbuildings, like there was like a slave's quarter, or like servant's quarters, and we actually brought things back from the land, and that was a big mistake. Oh, man. Anyway, so we would end our ghost tour with Fuller Avenue. And we, would, we wouldn't go to where the buildings were because it was very dangerous to go through there, especially at night. So we would just take them along the trail, along the waterfront, which was at the edge of the property. Now, the buildings were well up the hill. And we had been to this trail numerous times and it was really creepy our friend Liz her she, we we all went one night there was a whole group of us checking it out because we wanted to add it to the tour because it just had that creep vibe to it you just you knew that you were in the presence of something that was not happy you were there so we went and checked it out and found the best route, the safest route, the easiest route to do. So we took them down the trail. And like our friend Liz, when she came with us, she, she had decided that for the group, she um, was going to be our historian. She would do all the research. And then she would sit in the car with the doors locked and man the tea. She would sit in the car with the tea and watch the tea. And she did promise, 
I'm pretty sure she had her fingers crossed, but she did promise that if she saw us running towards the car at a great rate of speed, she would unlock the doors and let us in. I somehow think, though, if we were running towards the car at a great rate of speed, she would not unlock those doors until she made absolutely sure there was nothing behind us. So, anyway. So, we're walking down the trail, and we've got... There was about... Um, one, two, three, four... There's about five people with us, plus us. And we're halfway Patrick. I don't know. I do know a Patrick, actually. Um, we were about halfway to the point where we had intended on taking them. And I looked at my friend and I'm like, does this feel weird to you? And they're like, yeah, it kind of does. It almost felt like we were walking through sludge. Now, there was nothing on the trail. It was perfectly dry, but it felt like we were dragging our feet through sludge. And we kind of got a little ahead of the group because they were feeling it and they were kind of, you know, all clutched together, hanging on to each other. You know, like you do when you go through a haunted house and you're going as a group and you're all kind of like one big moving organism. <laughs> well, that's what they looked like. So we were a good four or five feet ahead of them anyway. And all of a sudden it was like, wham, we hit this brick wall of evilness. That's the only way I can describe it. It was like we had walked into a brick wall. We could not push past this. It was the nastiest, scariest, awfulest feeling thing I have ever felt in my life. And it stuck to you like ooze. Like ick. And we looked at each other, we turned around, and we booked it out of there. Just ran for all we were worth. Right by our 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 tour group. And they're all kind of standing there going, wait a minute, they told us about this at the beginning of the of the, the, the tour. That if they went running by us, not to question, just to follow. And we got almost back to the van, and I look back, and they're still standing there, huddled, wondering what to do, and I'm just like, run! <laughs> we made it back to the van, and they were not that far behind. And they're like, what happened? What happened? What happened? And, you know, like I'm hanging off of the side mirror and I'm like, I'm, I'm almost in like a praying position on my knees at this point. Just A, trying to breathe. And B, trying to wrap my brain around what just happened. Um, so we explained to them what we had felt and that it had freaked us out enough that the only instinct we had was to run. It was that fight or flight and flight one because it, it, it just the fear. So once we all kind of calmed down and um, breathing was normal and everything and we're laughing about it now and it's like, okay, you know what? We just kind of freaked ourselves out a little bit. There's nothing there. Let's go back in and we're all good. We head back in. And we don't even get to the point where we were and we felt it. Everybody felt it rush down the trail towards us. Like it created a breeze. 
And it slammed into all of us. And yeah, we were running. You know the the thing, like you only have to be faster than the person beside you. Like we were grabbing, there were people grabbing people in front of them and throwing them back. Like your sacrifice, back you go. I am ahead of you. I'm going to live. <laughs> and we got into the van and we hightailed it out of there. Now, before we'd gone down the trail, we had actually, there's a little park there and we'd gone to the park and um, we had snapped some pictures um, and there's two pictures. They're on my Facebook. If you go through my, my pictures, look for the folder that says ghost hunting. And there's two pictures that were taken one right after the other, like seconds apart, because I just went click, click. And the first picture, it's beautiful, it's crisp, it's clear, there's nothing. It's like a picture of a slide at the at the park. And the second picture is nothing but orbs. Nothing but wall-to-wall -wall orbs. Now, if it was dew, if it was moisture in the air... It would have been in the first picture. Because like I said, they're seconds apart. The dew does not come that quick in a picture. you got to look at the pictures. Uh, one of the graveyards we came out of, um, the one with Beck Mausoleum, a friend of mine was actually talking about Beck House, which is a haunted, um, it was a house, but it's now been converted to apartments in Penetang. If you look on Haunted Ontario, it is actually mentioned on there. We, one of the graveyards cemeteries that we would go to it was in Penetang and it was where the Beck mausoleum was where the Beck family is buried we I have a picture um we hightailed it again back to the van because we all got kind of this creepy feeling like we were being followed and as we're go heading out of this cemetery my friend Stephen is sitting in the back and he's like uh Lou are, are, is something following us I feel really creeped out and my friend beside me, she took the camera, she put it out the window and aimed it at the back of the van and snapped the picture. And you can see this big orb. It looks like the moon, but it's not. You can see this orb beside the van following us out. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah we're being followed. We're good. We're out of here. And off we went to Fuller Avenue. That was a good night. That was a good night. I think that was one of the best um, ghost tours that I've ever led. It was um, very interactive, and the group had a blast. Um, they came back for the next one, but we all decided we weren't going back to Fuller Avenue. And I did one in Barrie on land in Barrie that was really good, really active. I used the um, app that I'm using right now. I used it there, and we got some very... Um, Interesting answers that um, correlated to the questions that were being asked. We got intelligent answers. That's what it's called, intelligent answers. So, yeah. It's Halloween. It's Samhain. It's The veil is thin, and I have my equipment out, and I am looking for places to investigate. I would love to go and do an investigation somewhere. Um, I know of a few places. Uh friend of ours his apartment is haunted um so we're, we're gonna we want to check that out so yeah i think i am going to wrap this up we are almost at um an hour and 40 minutes 
my throat is really dry. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell, my voice has gotten a lot kind of softer and, and hoarser. And... I also have to uh, spin this down and send it off to Dave so he can edit it, get it ready, and get it out by midnight. <laughs> um, so... Do some research if you want. Look up Samhain and check out, you know, all of that. And really think about the words of the Halloween Witch. I have it shared on my wall if you want to go and read it. And think about where that caricature of the Halloween Witch comes from. How she may have been brought into being. And when you see one, think about the hundreds and hundreds of women that have been persecuted and beaten and tortured for sometimes nothing. Sometimes simply using old methods and ways of healing like tinctures and poultices and herbs and teas and, you know, things like that. So... Don't judge a book by its cover. We're not all children-eating Satan worshippers. <laughs> I'd throw that in there. To be quite honest with you, Satan is a Christian concept and it is actually not part of um, my belief system. I do believe in evil. That is part of my belief system. But that is not a name that I use for it. It's evil, negative, bad. <laughs> So, anyway, if you have any questions for me, you can email me at lupabardi at gmail.com. Uh, you can get a hold of me on Facebook at Stephanie J. Barty. You can find me at Lupa's Bits, the podcast, on Facebook as well. Send me a message over there. Uh, you want to send me hate mail? Yeah, go ahead. I don't care. I will answer it. I will address it. I might even use it as fodder for my next podcast. So, fire away. Don't forget to check out the magazine. I actually have three things in the magazine this month. I was really impressed with myself. Um, I wrote my very first Drabble. I was beyond thrilled that I could do it. Um, it was a proud moment for me because I, I've tried before and I've never been able to do it. Never been able to pare it down to a hundred words and have it make any sort of sense. Um, and this one turned out really well. I'm really pleased with it. So, yeah, I've got a poem, I've got a story, and I've got a drabble. So, go check those out at www.theworldofmyth.com. There's a lot of really cool stuff over there. Go and check them out. Vote. Please vote. Vote, vote, vote. Uh, I know there's a couple of us that are angling for member of the month, so it's kind of a competition now. So, <laughs> go and vote. And um, leave some comments. You know, to be honest with you, I enjoy the comments over the votes. I love to hear what people have to say, whether it's good or bad. I love to hear what people have to say about something I've done. Um, you can find the World of Myth on Facebook. And you can find, don't forget on Mondays, you can listen to the World of Myth Bits. And I do believe this Monday is Magazine Review. 
So I'm going to be tuning in for that for sure. And Wednesdays, we have My Public Life as an American Nerd with David K. Montoya. And uh, it'll be after Halloween, so maybe he'll move on from the scary stuff. <laughs> well, we will see. So, um, and then don't forget me on Fridays, Lupus Bits, the podcast. You can find me on TikTok. I'm over on TikTok doing stuff. I got this thing called Coffee Talk that I do every morning. Well, it's not. sometimes it's not quite morning. Sometimes it's afternoon that I get around to doing Coffee Talk. Um, still batting around, bat, tossing around the idea of making it a podcast or um, like a video. Oh, we could do like a YouTube video thing. Huh. Anyway. Uh, we'll let you, I'll let you know what we decide what we're going to do on that. Because um, I need some I need some technical input. Anyway, so, alright. I'm going to end this here because we are now at one, almost one forty-five, So, an hour and 45 minutes. And I'm, I could talk forever. Really, I can. But I'm getting to the point where now I'm just talking about nothing. I'm rambling. So, <laughs> we're going to end it here. And I am going to say happy Halloween. Be safe. However you are celebrating Halloween, um, I will be celebrating it with my sister, Crystal, and we will be doing something Samhain-esque. And I will be popping in with my biological sister because she's doing a Zoom Halloween party. So however you are doing Halloween this year, be safe, have fun, and enjoy yourself. You know? Just enjoy yourself. Relax. Have a good time. Do what you need to do. So, all right. I'm out, guys. Till next week. See ya. Carry on all the way, well, son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Don't you cry.